0: You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Christ Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. I'm glad you're here this morning. You're here. You're like, you, you came the day after Christmas. Give yourself a hand. Like, way to go. <laughs> I, I'm being a little silly, but seriously, like... Uh, David and I were talking this morning and we're grateful that it's not just us in here this morning. So thanks for coming to worship. Um, I know if you're here this morning, you're, you're, you're serious about it, um, about coming and, and coming and worshiping. Uh, i partly point that out, one, because we're all maybe feeling that and aware of that, that uh, kind of a, a tougher morning to get up and come. But also just naturally, there's kind of this this little valley, so to speak, after Christmas, right? So you have the high, the joy, the excitement of Christmas, and then it tends to kind of, uh, dip a little bit, and then we really look forward to New Year, right? So I was even, uh, this morning, my, my Sunday morning ritual is I go through the the drive-through at Market Street on 98th and Quaker, and I get a burrito and a coffee. It's just, it's what I do. One morning, they were closed, and I was like, I'm, I can't preach today. I <laughs> like, my life is over. Um, but I always go through there, and the lady, man, she was like, she's always so professional, so polite. And this morning, she, like all of us already kind of do, it was 6.45 a.m. the day after Christmas and she was already like, happy new year because we, and I said it back to her, but we kind of tend to get excited for that, that next big thing, right? Because thinking for if we're honest, we, we, like, we like those peaks, we like those mountaintops. We don't always love the valley. Would you agree with that? When I say valley, I think what I mean by that is uh, a valley literally is a, a low place, a low place. A place where you can see up, you can see how small you are and, and how uh, wh- how low you are compared to everything else, but you can't really see out. You can see up, but you can't see out. Often, a valley can even be a place of darkness, a place of hardship. You know, as, as people, not just believers, but as people, we, we kind of have this aversion, uh, this disdain for valleys, for. Low place. So, just to be clear, in case you're not tracking, in case you're not tracking, I'm not talking about a literal valley. But kind of this metaphor, uh, metaphor for a valley. So, th- this low place. We have this aversion, this disdain. We want to stay away from valleys, don't we? Because we like the high, the high times. I even think sometimes in the Christian life, we like to describe the Christian life as as this mountaintop. And I remember uh, I've heard. Uh, one time someone after youth camp tell all the students, you know what, that mountaintop experience you had at camp, you can have that mountaintop experience every day. It doesn't have to go away. And I found myself raising my hand, like as the youth pastor and just saying, um, that's, that's not true. Like that sounds really good, but life is not a nonstop mountaintop. Like, and if that's your experience, then I, I think I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're on some sort of drug or something and that's going to go away. Like, that's, not the, that's not life, this nonstop mountaintop experience. So I point that out to say we, we tend to even in our vocabulary as Christians talk about it as this amazing experience and life is always great. But the reality is like it, it can be hard. I think one of the reasons that, that we tend to not like the valley, the low place is because when you're in the valley, it does, you don't feel right. You can feel like you're in, some people may describe it as a funk, if that's okay to say. Um, it, you feel maybe sometimes distant from God. And so we, I think, automatically assume, well, if I don't feel right, if I feel distant from God, then this valley must not be really like part of the Christian life that God wants for me. But the problem is, would you agree? We've In our culture we've too tightly wound our feelings to our faith. And that's, that's a dangerous place to be because your feelings are what? Fickle, <laughs> up and down, up and down, up. Talk about roller, roller coaster, right? They're everywhere. I think another reason that we, we don't like valleys and we kind of run away from them and don't wanna embrace them is because being in a valley, a low place, really causes you, it really demands that you have a heart posture of dependence rather than control. Who in here likes control? Yeah, that's it. All the dads are like, where's the remote, right? We, we like control. We like to have this kind of closed handed view of our lives, right? And if I'm on the mountaintop, so to speak, I can kind of see where things are and I can kind of choose to pick where I want to go. But when you're in the valley, it automatically kind of necessitates this, this heart posture of dependence toward God rather than control, I can do things how I want. I and mean, when you're in control, you like to control the outcomes, and I'm going to stay on the mountaintop. But the heart of dependence is open handed towards God. Even thinking about this next year, I know David a minute ago mentioned thinking about 2022, which is crazy to think about already. A lot of us tend to have this closed handed view to what 2022 is going to bring the goals we're going to accomplish, the things we're going to finish, uh, the new resolutions we're gonna have, and we have this closed-handed, I'm gonna control it. Webster's uh, 1828 describes or defines dependence as the inability to sustain itself. So when I'm dependent, I realize I have the inability to sustain myself. Dependence is reliance, it's confidence, it's trust, it is a resting on. I don't like dependence and I probably know that you don't really either because it means I have to not rely on myself but rely on God. So because we like control, because we want to feel right, we want to feel close to God, we tend to avoid the valleys. But here's the interesting thing. The biblical perspective of the valley is that we are not to evade it but to embrace the valley. Not evade but embrace the valley. Not to disdain it, but to delight in the valley. Which that seems a little bit like crazy talk, right? That we don't run away from the valley, we embrace it. That we don't, I hate the valley, but we we delight in it. So I think it begs the question, drum roll, why? (laughs) Why in the world would God lead us, tell us, direct us not to evade The valley, not to disdain the valley, but rather to embrace it, to delight in those low points in life, those hardships in life. Why? Today's text, you've probably already seen it on the screen, is Psalm 23. I think it gives us a little window, not the whole window, but a little window into why we should embrace the valley. Those hardships, those low times when you can't see out, but you can see up and how low you are. Why embrace the valley? If you would look at Psalm 23 with me. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. Go back to verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. Sheep, you know, they don't, especially in those times, they weren't fenced in. They didn't have a nice fence out in uh, the valleys of Judah and, and, and Israel to stay in. They always had to have a shepherd. The shepherd provided food, water, protection, help them to know where they can lay down and sleep. Without a shepherd, the sheep aren't gonna make it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. So again, he's using this kind of metaphoric language that as believers, as the people of God, we are sheep who need someone to take care of us. And guess who is our shepherd? Who? The Lord. I don't know what version you have. Probably, Hopefully they all are like this, uh, Notice how when it says the Lord, if you look closely, all the letters are capitalized. Do you see that in your text? So it's not capital L and then lower cases. It's all capitalized. If it's not, then it's okay. I think your translation may be a little off there in that. Uh, What's helpful, when you see all caps of the Lord in scripture, almost all the time, it's because in the Hebrew, at least in the Old Testament, it is the term Yahweh, God's proper name, you could say, his covenant keeping name. So what he's saying is the Lord, the covenant keeping, promise keeping, faithful, his love is never stopping, unbreaking, never ending love. That Lord, that God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, but also knows this by name, that God is my shepherd. That's pretty cool. So I'm a little sheep, but that God, the covenant keeping faithful God, he's the one who's my caretaker. He's the one who guides me, who leads me. He says, because of that, I have what I need. Whether it be spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, social, whatever whatever it is, because the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd, I have what I need. I'm not gonna lack anything. What does that look like, his provision for me? Sometimes it's he lets me lie down in green pastures. What, what, what a cool picture that the Lord takes you to places to rest. Did you know that it's godly to rest? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Seriously. My wife has to remind me that sometimes. Like, I think you need a nap. <laughs> The Lord, when we're prone to run on and, and, and wander and go, 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 God says, shh, hey, you're allowed. I love that, the, the CSB says, he lets me. So God gives you permission to rest, to breathe, to sleep. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So he, he takes me to a place of provision when my soul needs refreshing refueling, nourishment, he, he, he leads me to those places. Sheep on their own often could not find the, the place of water, a place to find nourishment. So the shepherd would have to, hey, follow me, come with me, <clears throat> excuse me, take them to the place of nourishment, of refreshment. That's what God does for us. And I love this picture, he leads me beside quiet water. So yes, it's about nourishment, but also, can't, don't you get this, you can't read Psalm 23, Without, slowly anyways, you can't read it slowly without being overcome with at least a little bit of a sense of calm and peace, right? He lead. he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet, still, calm waters. He renews, verse three, he renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's Sake, he renews my life. He restores my soul, and he leads me along the right path. So the, the right paths, This was common imagery, imagery uh, for life's journey. And think about a path. It's how do you get down a path? One step at a time, right? So he it, doesn't say the shepherd just like comes down in a hovercraft and transports you to the mountaintop and where you want to be. No, he leads you one step at a lo- one step at a time along the right paths. So God, as your shepherd, will get you where you're supposed to go. I was talking with a friend the other night and and we were were talking about how sometimes we wanna know the future and what God wants us to do. And ultimately, we can trust, we can know that our good shepherd will get us where we need to go. Amen? We've often said before, when you trust him with your journey, you can trust him with your destination. One step at a time. He leads you along the right paths, For his name's sake. So I I love this. Why does God do that? Why as a good shepherd, does he lead you along the right path, take you the places you should go, direct you the right way? Why does he do it? It's right there in the text. For his name's sake. So he does it because God has got a reputation to keep up. And if you say, well, that seems kind of prideful. Is that actually a good thing? You bet it's a good thing. God, if you look at his track record of faithfulness, and guiding people on the right path, he has a 100% track record. There's not one person you can look at and go, oh, yep, back in 1999, he let Brandon down. That was, oh, well, I'm not sure I can trust God now. No, God has never failed anyone and you're not gonna be the first person he fails on. He has a reputation to keep up of being faithful and trusted and true and good and right and he's not gonna let his name, his reputation, change anytime soon. You can bank on that. If it was, he guides you on the right paths because you're a good person and you do the right things, uh (laughs) uh-oh, that becomes unstable ground. But his name, his reputation, his glory is rock solid. It's not gonna falter. He guides you on the right paths. You know, we, we love verses one through three. I think we love this whole text, but I think we love verses one through three because it's all this picture of calm and greenery and he's guiding me. And even though we, we in theory, I, we love to quote verse four, I think if you think about the imagery, it's a little scary. Again, it's the thing we have an aversion to. We kind of despise but listen, verse four, he says, even, everybody say, even, with me, one, two, three, even, so not just in all these good times has God my shepherd, not just when life is going my way when I'm on the mountaintop, but even when I go through the darkest valley, the, the most literal translation, the way to say that is the valley of darkness, He says, I fear no danger. So even when I go through the the valley of darkness, the darkest valley, the lowest place, the hardest place, the place where I can't even really see up or out, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, Notice he doesn't say, when I go through the darkest valley, I don't fear any danger because there's no danger. He doesn't say that. No, there is danger. There is difficulty. There is darkness. There is hardship in the valley. But he says, I don't fear because, he says, I don't fear in the valley because you know what? I'm a strong little sheep. I don't fear in the valley because my wool is so thick. Those wolves can come. I'm not scared because I got tough wool. Is that what he says? No, it's a kind of a ridiculous thought, right? A little sheep walking all big and bad, strutting through the valley, <laughs> like, no. He says, I fear no evil for, because you, the, which, you goes back up to verse one, the Lord who is my shepherd, you are with me. Man, what a cool picture. So in the darkest valley, in the hardest place, I don't fear, I embrace it, I don't disdain it because the faithful promise-keeping Covenant keeping God, the Lord is, is you are, so this is declarative, this is absolute, it's not you might be with me, I hope you're with me. No, you are, it is emphatic, you are with me. So not just uh, you you think about me or you care for me. No, that the Lord is with, presently walking with me. Little bitty, stanky, stinky sheep the Lord is with me. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, I love this. So a a shepherd would have carried these for really two reasons. One, to kind of goad, push the sheep in the right direction, but also to, to knock away and beat away predators. So this is, you know, we just celebrated Christmas yesterday. This is not Little baby Jesus, right here, is the shepherd. This is like Jackie Chan, Jack Bauer, Jason Bourne Jesus, right? Like, do not mess with him because he's got a, a staff and he will knock you out. <laughs> Don't mess with his sheep. What a cool picture. So, it's a picture of a, of a strong, capable shepherd who predators should be afraid of, but the sheep finds comfort because. That shepherd is with me. (laughs) He's with me. Yeah, the big strong guy with the big stick? Yeah, he's with me. (laughs) So even though I'm in this dark valley, I find comfort. Comfort. You know, the imagery kind of shifts in verses five through six. But I think if you look, it's still kind of a valley scene. When I say valley, I mean a, a low place, a place of hardship, a place of darkness. So not, the, the, the metaphor shifts from a sheep in a valley, but it's still a place of difficulty. Let me prove it to you. Verse five, you, so this shepherd, this, this our great God, the Lord, you prepare a table before me, here's the valley, in the presence of my enemies, That's a valley. If you're surrounded by enemies, that's a low place. That's a place of hardship. He says the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So I'm surrounded, you can say to go back to the valley picture, on both sides of, on both hills, on either side of me, there's enemies. But down here in the valley, the Lord is preparing a table for me to dine with him. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So I know in today's society, at least I don't think any of you did this yesterday. When you had guests over to your house for Christmas, you probably didn't break out the oil and anoint their head. They'd probably just walk out the door like, that was creepy. (laughs) But in those days, you anointed a guest with oil as a sign of, they're an honored, welcomed guest. Guest, so so, don't be bashful when you come in here. You know we we say it in Texas. Come on in here, make yourself at home. Right, pop your feet up, do what you want to do. Mi casa, su casa. Right, that's that's what. He's saying, the Lord does for me. He anoints my head with oil. I'm an honored guest. My cup overflows. This was kind of common language in, in the Old Testament of referring to all of God's benefits and goodness towards us. So he says, as I sit here and dine with the king and I'm welcomed, so I don't have to come in with hesitancy and like, I think I'm welcomed into his presence. I think God wants me to spend time with him. No, he welcomes you and he gives you a big old hug. Come on in here. And then he overflows your cup with goodness. By the way, who is still on your left and your right as you're sitting there dining with the king? Who hasn't left? The enemies, right? He's still in a battle. He's still in a place of hardship, but he's dining with the king. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Don't miss verse six. So he doesn't say only goodness and faithful love will be my experience. So he's not saying only good things and just love, like happy emotions will be what I experience. No, he says only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. So what he's saying is what is always true on every single day of my life, remember he says all, I put a little square in my notes or in my text around all, all the days of my life. What is true is that God's goodness and his faithful love are chasing after me every single day. So even in the valley, when it's dark and I can't really see up or out, I'm in a low place and enemies are surrounding me. Even, even there, God's faithful love and his goodness chasing after me enemies hard times they give out every now and then God's faithful love his goodness never stops chasing never stops coming after you all the days of your life every single day even on the, on the lowest of lows, even when man, life seems so hard, even when I get that call that a loved one is sick in the hospital, even when I get that call, that the, the, the plans that I thought were gonna happen, I've been dreaming of, they're not gonna work out, even when I get that call that, man, our flight was canceled, which I don't think it was, but even when I got that call that I didn't get the job I wanted, even when I get the call that my friend has stabbed me in the back, yes, even on those days, even in those dark valleys, God's faithful love is chasing you and pursuing you even when you're flat on your face, covered in mud in the valley of sin and shame and hardship. He's chasing you and he wants to dine with you right there in the middle and the bottom of the valley where you have no control at all. Do you, Do you see what's going on here? To go back several minutes ago when I asked the question, why should we embrace and not evade the valley? Why should we uh, delight in it and not despise the valley? Because when you embrace the valley, you embrace the whole work of God. When you, when you try to push off hard times and kind of navigate around the hard times and act like, oh, everything's fine, everything's good, I'm not, everything's fine, I'm just going to go and kind of just kind of cope my way through this valley, not really act like I'm going through a hard time. When you do that, you're kind of pushing away and barricading yourself against some of the Lord's most profound, profound work in your life. You're, you're barricading yourself against his comfort his nearness and him wanting to dine with you in the hardship. Often, I really do believe that the text is saying that we experience the presence of God most profoundly and deeply and richly and lastingly, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley of despair. So don't push away the valley. Don't try to get around and run back up to the mountaintop. Embrace the valley. When you do, you embrace the work of God. See, when we try to skirt around the valley, we're, we're, trying, we're kind of negating what has been normative for God's people forever. God's people forever have, have known what it is to see God in the valley and to experience God working in the valley. Think about Moses. Moses encountered God at the burning bush in the valley of the wilderness. That's where he saw God in the burning bush, not when he was all big and bad up in in Egypt. No, when he was in the middle of nowhere, he saw God's glory. Think about David, little shepherd boy, David. He had to descend into the valley of Elah, and that's where he defeated Goliath, in the valley. Down in there is where he saw God show off his glory, his majesty, his splendor when he defeated Goliath. Think about little old Esther, little pretty, little queen Esther. She would never have known the mountaintop of God delivering all of her people had she not entered into the valley of wondering, is God going to save me when I risk my life? Through the valley, she got to see the mountaintop of God's goodness and deliverance and salvation. Think about Peter. Peter. We, all of us, would not have the mountaintop of the hope of knowing that God can restore us when we fall flat on our faces. We wouldn't know that mountaintop had God not allowed Peter to walk through the valley of denial. Three times he denied Christ and then Christ restored him. And from that, man, we have the mountaintop of rejoicing and God is God of forgiveness and hope and love and mercy. Paul, Paul said, when I'm weak, then the Lord is strong, I experienced God's strength when I am weak. See what he's saying is, I would not know the mountaintop of God's ultimate strength if I didn't know the valley of my own weakness. Through the valley, I experienced God's strength. And friends, if it wasn't for the valley of the horror of the cross, we would not know the glory of the empty grave. Because of the valley of the cross, we rejoice in the glory of the empty grave. O sheep, do not despise the valley, for in the valley, your shepherd surely works. He's working. You say, I, I, I know, Brandon, but I, I just still struggle with that control peace it's hard to go open-handed through life and trust God in the valleys and the mountaintops and all of it because I I struggle to control because maybe even as a Christian you say I still just wonder like can I trust God do I I know he's going to take care of me do I know that he he's going to do whatever it takes to provide for me That's your question. I think it's a totally fair question because we're humans. We're made of dust, is what the scriptures say. But I want to point something really cool out to you. We believe that and know that God has given us His word, and from front to back, the way that it's ordered and organized is perfectly under His hand. So I think it is completely providential. What I mean is it's not an accident. God made it this way. That Psalm 23 follows immediately after Psalm 22. Just for a quick second, look at Psalm 22. You'll see right out of the gate in verse one, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? This is the text that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross. Psalm 22, written 1,000 years before Christ, roughly, in about 500 years before the type of crucifixion that Jesus experienced was actually even invented in its cruelty by the enemy, Satan. This was a prophecy of Christ, of what he would do. Look at verse one, I already read that. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Look over at verse 16, because for the sake of time, I don't wanna read the whole thing but you should totally read it later. He says, For dogs have surrounded me. Again, this is Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Okay, so first of all, can we just be in awe for a second that this was written way before Jesus came? as a prophecy of what he would do. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. How do we know God is a good, faithful, loving shepherd? Because Psalm 23 is founded upon, based upon Psalm 22, that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You can trust him. How do I know he's he's a a faithful, good shepherd? Because he was the suffering shepherd who laid down his life for me. Jesus walked through the darkest valley the world has ever known, of bearing all of our sin and shame and paying the penalty on the cross. He walked through the darkest valley to provide us salvation. Friends, you can trust your good shepherd. Oh sheep, do not despise the valley for in the valley your shepherd surely works. I wanna close with a prayer from the Puritans. Uh, A a book was compiled uh, not too long ago of a bunch of prayers of the Puritans and the book is called The Valley of Vision. It's it's older English, but man, uh, an incredible resource as a prayer tool and kind of giving you some launching points for some prayer. But I wanna read the opening prayer in that book that is called The Valley of Vision. And I believe we're gonna have it on the screen as I read so you can follow along and not miss much. I'm gonna lower this a little bit. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou has brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Do not despise the valley, for in the valley your shepherd surely works. We're gonna have a brief time of response in a moment. We're gonna sing, there'll be some, some folks down front to pray with you. Maybe you just wanna come and, and tell them, hey, I, I'm kind of in a valley, would you, would you pray for me? And we, we would love to do that, it'd be our honor to do that. Maybe you never trusted Christ, that his finished work on the cross on your behalf, that he paid the price for your sins and you can have a relationship with God by trusting him through faith, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you, you don't have to come talk to us, you can just pray and, and ask Christ to save you, and he will, right where you're at, say, Jesus, I believe in you, forgive me of my sins, I give you my life. And maybe as we respond, maybe you just wanna stand and sing and praise God for, for the hope you have, even when you're in a valley. But I think before we do all that, I want us to just take a quick moment, uh, right where you're at, you don't have to do this, we're not gonna come around and make, make everyone do it, that'd be weird. I'm going to invite you as we just kind of have a moment of just kind of quiet while David plays. As a posture of saying, hey, Jesus, I surrender to you as my shepherd. I relinquish control. I recognize my dependence on you that even in the valley you're working. Whether you lead me through a a mountaintop or a valley, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you in a minute just to to have a moment of just talking with the Lord but just as a posture of dependence, of relying on Him just to, to pray with your hands like this. That's all. Nothing crazy, nothing weird about it but just kind of a heart posture or a physical posture, hopefully revealing a heart posture of, God, I trust you. Whatever this next year bring, whatever tomorrow, whatever today brings, I trust you. Because I know even in the valley, you're working. I'm gonna give you a moment just to do that, to pray quietly with the Lord. And then here in a second, David will lead us and we'll be here if you'd like to respond. The grass withers, the flowers fade, But the word of the Lord stands forever. If you are encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.